Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson tells us two criminals were crucified alongside Jesus. While the crowd was hurling insults at Jesus, one criminal realizes the uniqueness of Jesus and discovers that in Christ, the end is not the end. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship, go to rfamarillo.org. We're going to take a look at the thief on the cross this morning. And this story has a, a lot of ramifications, a lot of application, I think. Some that we probably haven't even thought of. I think the application probably runs deeper and broader than what we're even uh, think about in this story. I will let you know that uh, Denise actually initiated this message. She started sharing with me earlier in the week she, uh, about this story. She said, Daryl, I've just been thinking about this story, the thief on the cross and, and really what it means. I said, I don't know why it's on my heart. I don't know why I'm thinking about it, uh, but it's just kind of been on my mind and my spirit. So she just began to kind of share with me what she was thinking and what was going on. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, that's some really great insight and some great truth. Well, what she didn't know, I hadn't told her, what she didn't know is I was having preacher block. Y'all, you know what writer's block is, right? Well, there is such a thing as preacher's block, believe it or not. Uh, for me, I, I take this opportunity very seriously to come before and to, and to teach the word. My heart's desire is for it to be a word from God, that the spirit really is speaking and moving and, and leading me to say very specific things. I could just come up and just say whatever, but I don't think that's productive. So there are times in the midst of that, just to be honest with you, there have been several occasions when there ain't nothing, nothing's coming. And this was one of these weeks, I've, I've thought periodically over the years, what would it be like if I came up on a Sunday morning and I did not have a word to say? What would I do? Just come up and say, sorry guys, I don't have a word from the Lord today. That might be the best sermon ever, I don't know. Fortunately, it hadn't happened and it, it didn't happen here because what Denise didn't know is she began to share, some things started to trigger and that's the word that we needed to hear today. So either thank her for the message or blame her for it. Either one is whatever you want to do there. But let's look at the story. Luke chapter 23, we pick it up in verse 26. And obviously it's, this is when Jesus is being paraded through the street carrying the cross. Verse 26, as they led Jesus away, they see Simon from Cyrene who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Verse 35, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he really is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, 
for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. The Luke, here Luke calls them criminals. Matthew calls them robbers. The truth is we don't really know what kind of criminal this was. We don't have a lot of information about him. Some have suggested that only the most heinous criminals were crucified. But documents and history tells us that's not really true. Insurrectionists were crucified, um, political zealots were crucified. There's even evidence that slaves were crucified. If slaves were caught trying to, to be set free and try to gain their freedom and, and to flee, if they were caught, they would be crucified as a warning for other slaves not to do that. But there's even evidence that just common criminals, just kind of your everyday run-of-the-mill criminal would be crucified as well. So we don't really know much about this guy, but he's probably just a common criminal that for some reason something happened that pushed him from just incarceration all the way to crucifixion. Now, Matthew and Mark, they, they say that both criminals hurled insults at Jesus. But here Luke says only one of them hurled insults. So what do we do with this discrepancy? Well, there's a couple of options. One option is we can just say one of the accounts is wrong or two of the accounts are wrong. Well, if we take that option, that opens a whole can of worms because now you're saying God's word's not really God's word. God's word isn't true. And so if this passage isn't true, what other passages aren't true? And it just, it opens up a mess. So that really isn't an option. I think the real option and what's really going on here is these guys have recorded different aspects of the crucifixion. They're referring to different parts of the crucifixion. Here's what I think probably happened. All three of them were being paraded down through the street. And so I think both criminals during this time, they're both hurling insults at Jesus. Even at the beginning of the crucifixion, both of them are hurling insults at Jesus because they're hearing the whole crowd. You're saying, crucify him. And if you're Jesus, come down. So they're hearing the whole crowd just yelling at Jesus. So I think both of them are hurling insults. But at some point, this criminal has what I call the aha moment. There was a moment in him that he said, Something's different. And so Matthew and Mark are recording early, but Luke is catching him at the end where he's had this aha moment and he said, now there's something different about Jesus. I don't think he really understood all that that meant, but there was enough there that caused him to switch. But what's neat about this story is there are, I think, at least four applications that we can draw for our personal life today. And that's what I wanna walk through. And hopefully at least one of these applications will speak to you. Here's the first one, probably the most obvious one. And that is, it's a story about grace. It's a story about the process and the progression of salvation. That key verse here is verse 41. When he says, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. We see this process taking place in the criminal. First, there's this awareness of sin. He says, we're being punished justly. In other words, there is, he's aware that there is such a thing as sin and as right and wrong. That leads him then to an admission of sin where he says, we, in other words, he takes ownership. He takes responsibility and says, not only does sin exist, not only is there right and wrong, but I have done wrong. I personally have sinned and I'm taking ownership for that. Then that leads him to an acceptance 
of the penalty of sin. He says, we're getting what our deeds deserve. So we see this criminal, he's not rationalizing anything. He's not excusing anything. He's not shouting out unfair, unfair, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. He's saying, I just accept it because I know I've sinned. Then that leads him to this acknowledgement of who Jesus is. This acknowledgement of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Again, I don't think he fully understands all the ramifications of that, but he sees something in Jesus that says he's different. And then finally goes to this anticipation of the future in verse 42. He asked Jesus, hey, remember me when you go into your kingdom. The, the more literal translation is remember me when you come with your kingly power. In other words, there was something that happened in this criminal's life that he realized this really is the Christ, the son of the God, and he's going to come and reign with power. And I want, to, I want him to remember me and be a part of that. So now you see this anticipation of the future. So this thief is a common criminal. And because of that, he represents every one of us. He represents just mankind in general because the reality is that this story tells us is every one of us have to go through this same process and this same progression of salvation where we become aware that there is such a thing as sin and that we admit I have sinned against the Lord. And then I come to the place where I accept that I am a sinner. It says it this way in Romans 3.23, all is sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 continues and says, but the wages of those sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So all of that recognition of sin leads us to Jesus and leads us to the one who is unique, who is holy, who died for us, who gave his life for us, who is God's son in the flesh. All that moves us to realize I need Jesus Christ. And once I make that commitment, now we've got the anticipation of the future where we get to spend eternity with the Savior. So first, this story of grace we deserve death, but he gives us life. We deserve nothing, but he gives us everything. But there's other applications here as well. The second one deals with freedom, specifically freedom from sin. In our post-Christian, post-modern culture that we live in now, it, we, we're teaching that there's no absolutes. There's no absolute right or wrong. Everything's subjective. Everything's relative. Whatever I think is right is right or whatever I think is wrong is wrong. There's no absolute here. But that's a tragic mistake. What we see here with the thief's awareness of sin, his awareness that there really is such a thing as absolute right and wrong and I have sinned, that awareness is what pushes him and allows him to experience the freedom from his sin. We make a tragic mistake when we uh, downplay the reality of sin. No one wants to talk about sin. No, I, I specifically don't. Because sin is such a hard subject to talk about, a lot of people don't want to deal with it. But it all really starts here because we can never be set free from something if we never acknowledge that something. So this is a story about freedom. Sin stops the redemptive process in our life. Think about that. Sin stops the redemptive process in our life, whether that's salvation or sanctification. 
There are two categories of sin, two areas of sin. One that I'll call unforgiven sin. There is a state where we have unforgiven sin. That is the state of somebody that's never given their life to Jesus Christ. Because when we give our life to Jesus Christ, one of the things that happens is he removes our sin. He takes all of that scarlet and turns it in white as snow. So he forgives that sin. So in this state of unforgiven sin is that place where I've not yet given my life to Jesus Christ. But when I give my life to Jesus Christ, now I'm forgiven and I'm forgiven and I'm set free from the penalty of sin. But there's another category. It's what I'll call unconfessed sin. Now this is for the believer. This is for the person who has been forgiven of their sin. Their, their sins are washed white. There's no longer any condemnation for those of us that are in Jesus Christ. But it's unconfessed sin. It's sin that I've allowed to harbor in my spirit and to harbor in my life. And it stops the redemptive process called sanctification in my life. Some portions of scripture call it grieving the spirit. Some portions call it quenching the spirit. Some call it walking in the flesh. But there's something about unconfessed sin that if, as a believer, it will just wear you out and it will weigh you down and it will eat you up from the inside. Think of a pipe. I should have brought one with me, I didn't. But th think of a pipe, and we know what a pipe's for. If you have just water running through it, that pipe is is intended for the water to run through that pipe. But if you plug up one end of the pipe, that water continues to run, but it, it plugs up and it stops up because of the plug. Pretty soon that pressure begins to build up inside of that pipe. If you've sold or bought homes recently, you've probably uh, been gotten word about a hydrostatic pressure test. You probably know what that is. The hydrostatic test simply tests the pressure in your sewer line. So what they're gonna do is they're gonna plug it up they're gonna run the water in there and they're gonna create this pressure in the pipe and if the pressure releases, that means there's some cracks in your pipe. But what they discovered is that the test itself is actually creating the pressure. So now a lot of sellers won't let you do a hydrostatic. A lot of realtors won't even recommend it. The state's even decided, hey, we can't do it because what's happening is Typically, those pipes don't have that kind of pressure because there's free flow. But once you stop it up, now you're actually creating the pressure because of the blockage, and that's creating all the issues. That's the way it is with unconfessed sin. It's supposed to, Spirit's supposed to flow through us, but with unconfessed sin, it's as if we plug that up, and now all this stuff just starts to build up in us and build up in us and build up in us, and all this pressure of this unconfessed sin begins to weigh us down and eat us up and cause, create, uh, create some problems. Here's how David said it in Psalm 38 when he had not yet confessed his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. He said, my bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt overwhelms me like a burden too heavy to bear. All day long I go about moaning. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. My heart pounds, my strength fails. Even the light has gone from my eyes. Psalm 32, he says it this way. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away though my groaning, through my groaning all day. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But in the Psalms, you see a turn, you see a twist. Once he confesses that, 
there's a release. In Psalm 32, five, he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave my guilt of my sin. You can just hear in that passage a, a release, a peace, a freedom. Verse two, he says, blessed is the man in whose spirit there's no deceit. Blessed is the man who will confess that and allow the Lord to cleanse that and to release that and to free that. With confessed sin, we are set free from the power of sin in our life. If this applies to you, if you feel the spirit convicting, if you have felt the heaviness and the, the weightiness of that, just know there is freedom. The thief experienced that freedom and you can experience that same kind of freedom from that sin. But there's a third application that maybe speaks to some of you. And that's the concept of letting go. The time to let go, and we see three different aspects here in the story of the thief. The first is the necessity to let go of self-reliance. When you look at the story of the thief, he had to let go of this concept of I can do it. We've, we've all seen this concept of I can do it. If you've, if you've had children, grandchildren, uh, you know in the life of these little preschoolers about age two, three, maybe four, their catchphrase, I can do it. I can do it. So anytime you try to help them, no, I can do it. Not only will they not let you help them, but they'll become violent and scream and throw a fit if you try to help them. Why? Because I can do it. It's this self-reliance. Now, that's a necessary move in physical maturity, but it's not good in spiritual maturity. In fact, spiritual maturity, it's just the opposite. It's the realization that I can't do it, that I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the strength, I don't have the power, I don't have the insight. And the thief realized that. Now I have to, this isn't in the text, so I have to kind of get in the head of the thief. But I can just imagine that this thief is thinking all of his life, it's been about self-reliance. I've been doing this in my strength. I've been living life my way. I've been making my decisions based on my own wisdom, my own insight, what I wanna do. I've been relying upon myself all these years and look where it brought me, right to the cross. And so the thief had an epiphany. It's time to quit relying on myself. It's time to rely on somebody else. The best place to be is at the end of yourself. The best place to be is at the end of self-reliance and to realize I don't have the wisdom for life. I don't have the power for life. I don't have the strength to fight temptation. I've got to receive that from Christ. James 1.5 says it this way, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously without finding fault and he'll give it to you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. Passage I love in Psalm 20, verse 7 says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. 
In other words, I'm not going to trust in my own strength and in my own power and my own insight and my own wisdom. Instead, I've got to come to that place where I let go of my self-reliance and say the only way I'm going to make it through this situation and through this life is to rely upon you. So this story reminds us of that. But it's also a story about letting go of past mistakes. Here's this thief again. You know, the thief could have said, man, I have blown it big time. I'm a criminal. I've been a criminal all my life. My entire life has been wrong. It's been stealing. It's been robbing. It's been things I shouldn't be doing. It's been going against. My whole life is just a series of mistakes. And because of that, I have no right to come to Jesus and ask him to do anything for me. Even if there is something unique about Jesus, I have no right to come to him and ask him to remember me because of all of this past stuff in my life. He could have just remained quiet because he didn't feel like he was worthy enough because of his past mistakes. He could have held on to his past mistakes and missed what Jesus had for him that day. We can make the same mistake. We can hold so tightly to our past mistakes that we miss what Jesus wants to do in our life right now, today. We have to let it go. We have to remember that the blood of Christ covers it all. The love of Christ forgives it all. And the grace of Christ redeems it all so we can let it go. It's also a story about letting go of preconceived ideas. Now, this may be a little different thought, maybe, so let me see if I can clarify it. Again, I'm reading into the mind of the thief. But he may have very well had some preconceived ideas that if he would have held on to them, would have kept him from experiencing what Jesus had for him. Here's one of them. He could have said, only criminals are crucified. <laughs> Innocent people aren't crucified. Only criminals are crucified. So if Jesus is being crucified, he must be a criminal. There must not be anything unique about Jesus. So if he had held on to that preconceived idea, he never would have asked Jesus to do anything for him. Another one could have been, all of these people are screaming at Jesus to save himself. Hey, if you're really the Christ, if you're really the son of God, then free yourself. Come down off of the cross and set yourself free and free us too. So he could have been saying, hey, he's not doing that. And because he's not doing that, he must not have the power to set himself free. And if he didn't have the power to set himself free, he must not be the Christ, the son of the living God, because if he were the Christ, the son of, he would set himself free. He would come down off the cross. He's not, so he can't. And he's Preconceived ideas would have told the thief, I'm not gonna trust Christ with anything because he's just a criminal like me. But he had to let go of those preconceived ideas to get him to the place where he would say, no, Jesus is unique and that's where I need to go. And we can make the same mistake. We may have some preconceived ideas that keep us from experiencing what Jesus Christ wants to do in our life. It may be God can't change X. This situation I'm looking at, it's way too big for God. This is such a major catastrophe, such a major issue. I don't think God can do anything about this situation. Or maybe it's just the opposite. God doesn't care about this. 
This thing I'm going through, it's so insignificant. It's so small. It's so, it's so minor. God didn't, he's not going to waste his time on something so insignificant in my life. Or God can't change that person. Maybe you know someone that's so out there like a criminal. He is so far gone. He is so engrossed in sin that you're saying God can't touch that person. God can't change that life. And so you don't do anything to try to help that take place. Or maybe even praying for somebody for years and years and years to come to Christ or for God to work in his life. And finally you're saying, now if God was gonna answer that prayer, he would have already answered it. I'm gonna quit praying. It may be that we have to let go of some preconceived ideas so that Jesus Christ can really do what he wants to do in our life and in our situation and in our circumstance. There's one more application. Maybe one of the coolest ones, I don't know. But in Christ, the end is not the end. In Christ, the end is not the end. What looks like the end may very well be the beginning of something new. We see that with the thief. Remember, the thief is dying. The thief is not on death row waiting to be executed. The thief is being executed. He is in the process of execution. So you know the thief is thinking, this is the end. This literally is the end. But it wasn't. Because in Christ, the end was not the end. It was the beginning of something very new for that thief. And the same can be true about our life and our situation as well. Because the great news is that God can do the miraculous even in our worst situations. When you find yourself in the worst predicaments and circumstances, God can do the miraculous even in those situations. And when we believe that, when we have in our spirit that the end is not the end, God can do some amazing things in you and through you. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These three guys who are thrown into the furnace. But don't you know when they get into the furnace that they're thinking, this is the end. No one escapes a furnace. But if you remember what they said to the king before they went in, hey, we're not gonna bow. God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not gonna worship and bow down. But he's able. They had in their heart and in their spirit a reality that God can do the miraculous even in our worst situation. So they're thrown in the furnace and what they realize is it's not the end, it's the beginning of something new. You read the rest of the story and the whole kingdom begins to worship God. Remember the story of Daniel? Very similar story. He gets thrown in the lion's den. Nobody survives a, thigh, a fight from, with the lion. It's not the end. What's interesting in that story is the king liked Daniel. The king didn't want to throw Daniel in the lion's den, but he made an edict that if you don't bow down and worship, then you'll go to the lion's den and Daniel wouldn't bow down and worship. So he had to be true and consistent with his edict. So he throws Daniel in, Daniel in the lion's den. But if you read the passage, it says 
All night he's in turmoil. He can't eat. He's, he's disturbed because he really likes Daniel. So early the next morning when there's light, he goes back and he chases after and he wants to look in that lion's den just to see if Daniel's still alive. Why would a king do that? No one's ever survived that before. Why would he think Daniel could? Well, if you remember what the king says about Daniel, before he throws Daniel into the lion's den, he tells Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. There was something even about a pagan king that saw something in God with a, a light of hope that maybe with your God, the end isn't the end. And that's the way it is in our situation. It may very well be that you feel yourself in the midst of the furnace today. Maybe you feel like you're in the lion's den today. Maybe you're in a situation, a circumstance where you're saying to yourself, this is the end. This, I don't know what's going to, I can't go any farther. I can't do this. It may very well be that it's the beginning of God doing something new. Because the good news is that in Christ, there aren't any dead ends. They're just detours. What looks like a dead end in us may just be a detour we understand detours in Amarillo, don't we? Yeah, all these roads all over, all over the city, just detour after detour. I was, about a week ago, I was driving down I-40 and the exit, the bell ramp exit hadn't been worked on in months. So I'm thinking, I need to exit bell. So I get ready to exit and for some reason they've blocked off the ramp and it's closed. So I have to go to Coulter, turn around, I have to kind of go through town, the, the the neighborhood to get where I'm wanting to go. Now, here's the good news. I got to where I was intending to go. I just didn't get there the way I wanted to get there and the way I expected to get there. The same is true in your situation. You may not get where you think you need to be, but with Christ and in God, you will get there. God will make you into who he wants you to be. God will put you where he wants you to be. God will do in you what he wants to do in you. It just may not be done the way you want it to be done and the way you expected it to get done. He'll fulfill his purpose in your life. He'll remedy that situation. He will give you life and freedom and hope. He will, he will do the miraculous in your life. It may not look the way you want it to look. It may not take the exact path you wish it would take. But it's not a dead end. It's simply a detour. Because the end is not the end. You've seen that little gag thing that magicians use or clowns use? It's the, that old hanky trick gag. You know, the blow their nose on this hanky or whatever, and then they'll start pulling it out, and it just, you know, it just keeps going, keeps going, and finally they'll stop, and you think, okay, it's done. It. Oh, he keeps going, he keeps going. It's like, when is that ever gonna end? That's the way it is with God and the miraculous. We may think, okay, God's through doing great things in my life. Uh, no, he just keeps going. And in your worst situation, attested by the thief, that may simply be the beginning of God doing something tremendous. Let me close with this. Remember, there's two criminals hanging there. We've talked about this one who made a choice for Christ. The other one never did. 
the other one continued to hurl insults at Jesus Christ. He didn't experience grace. He didn't experience freedom. He didn't experience anything that we've talked about. So the bottom line this morning is we all have a choice. I can choose to be self-reliant or I can choose to trust Christ. I can choose to hang on to my past mistakes or I can choose to let them go. I can choose to think the end is the end and God can't do anything or I can choose to say no. I'm waiting for God to intervene. I can choose to experience the love and the freedom and the grace that Christ offers or I can choose not to. It's our choice. May we make the choice that this criminal did. Let me invite you to bow your heads. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.